if I truly believe that Jesus came to save all people, then what is God doing in bringing this community into such prominence? So I just encourage all of the listeners here and and just the church at large to really ask of the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And to trust that this is actually a moment of harvest if we choose to see it in that way. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javit, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to Our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javit. Today, I am joined by Elizabeth Black, the co-founder of Gladoscope Ministry. Our topic today focuses on the importance of bringing Jesus to LGBTQ communities especially in urban setting. There has been a lot of uh, theological discussion about the LGBTQ community and issues of gender and sexuality, but there hasn't been much actual mission engagement with the community. So today we want to focus on the importance of reaching out to the LGBTQ community and sharing the absolutely amazing news of the gospel. Every human being on this planet needs Jesus, and that includes LGBTQ individuals. A recent poll by Gulp suggests that 21% of Generation Z, those between age 18 and 25, identify as something other than heterosexual. Urban settings such as New York City often have more LGBTQ community or individuals. Whether or not we realize This fact, we probably all know someone in this community. As Christians who are called to be passionate about evangelism and reaching people with the gospel, it is important to connect with this community and look for ways to serve them. A little more about Elizabeth, our guest here. Elizabeth has served as an evangelist and minister in New York City for almost 10 years, originally from Baltimore. Maryland. She attended Washington Bible College for undergraduate studies. Elizabeth has a heart for New York City, and she loves sharing Jesus with those in the LGBTQ, Jewish, African-American communities, and beyond. She is currently working on her Master of Theology in Contextual Theology at All Nations, a mission college in the UK. Elizabeth loves to cook, entertain, watch common documentaries, and read about culture. Last but not least, she is a proud wife and the mother of two young boys. Thanks for joining us today, Elizabeth. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Dr. Javed, for having me and your team for such a warm welcome. So happy to be here. So before we get started, please tell us very briefly about your family. I believe family is so important. And I ask every guest to share a little bit about their family before we talk about their work, ministry Mm. context, and their lives. Yes, I love that. So good. Um, So as as you mentioned, I grew up in Baltimore, and that's where my family um, has been for over 30 years now. Um, My my dad is from Southern California. He's Mexican-American, and my mom is Black. Um, so 
family and the influence of culture actually play a really big role in the way that I see ministry and, and kind of the way that God has brought me to this place is I, I really love culture and the diversity of culture. Um, so I grew up in that that context and uh, got married 13 years ago this wow. coming month um, to my lovely husband, Aaron Black, uh, who is a Jewish believer in Jesus. Um, so we also have that added cultural element to our family. We have two young boys. Um, my oldest is 10 years old and my youngest is six. And it's a very busy season of their ages and the family where I feel like I'm going from karate to after school programs to my son's applying for like the school Senate. Woo, it's, it's a lot going on, but really, really blessed to have such a ha happy and healthy family. That's awesome. I got four children and same story here. Uh, <laughs> five, four, a lot of um, activities. Uh, wow. To pick them up, drop them off, do this thing, that thing, uh, their activities. And then I have uh, my twin girls are two years old. So <gasps> the four children. <laughs> oh, my goodness. God bless you. I feel yeah. overwhelmed by two. <laughs> <laughs> to start off, please tell us more about Clariscope. Uh, How did it? start and what do you guys do? Hmm. So uh, Kaleidoscope is actually a fairly new ministry. We started a little over a year and a half ago. And when I say we, um, I'm referring to myself and my ministry partner, Meg Botts. Um, and, and really where it was birthed out of um, was for, for in my story, um, working in Jewish ministry, that, which is where I started, I'd been, what brought me to New York was doing Jewish uh, missions and evangelism. And I'd been doing that here in the city for, um, for the whole time. So almost, you know, 10 years, about eight years. And um, just doing contextual evangelism had kind of brought me here because I was sharing the gospel with Jewish people, building relationships with Jewish people who both um, didn't know the Lord and were curious and reading the gospel for the first time or talking to a Christian um, and those who were other Jewish believers who just needed someone to help disciple them and, and foster their spiritual growth. Um, and something in those last two years that kept coming up time and time again was questions around sexuality and identity. Mm. We would be out on the streets um, doing evangelism and people would come up to us. And the first thing they would say is, well, what does God say about me? Cause I'm gay. Or what would God say to my friend? Cause they're non-binary. And the way that we had always kind of maneuvered those questions in the past as, as a ministry was that's not really what people are asking. They're asking something totally different. They're asking, does God love them or accept them or could they go to church or whatever, what have you? And the more I was engaging with those questions, the more I realized, no, actually, this is exactly what people are asking. This is where people are coming from. And to avoid the conversation or try to make it into something deeper or more philosophical actually wasn't helping anything. It wasn't actually building relationships with people or, or offering opportunities for further engagement. So the Lord really put it on my heart to start figuring out what could contextual evangelism look like, not just for Jewish people, but in that context for Jewish 
uh, people who identify as LGBTQ or same-sex attracted or transgender, however uh, you would want to say it. But um, so, so that's kind of where it birthed. And then also simultaneously, as I said, there were so many um, believers who were coming to me who were saying, I've never told anyone this, but I'm gay. Or I've never told anyone about this, but I'm, I'm single because I've always been attracted to people of my same sex. Mm. And I just, I didn't want to pursue it, but I've been living in shame and hiding all of my life. And I just thought there has to be more openness. There has to be places for people to actually process and talk and be in community that, you know, hears the fullness of their story um, and can and can speak into that, can pray for them, can provide accountability and support, can um, encourage one another. So that, that's where it all started. And I just spent a lot of time doing research and, um, you know, just trying to gobble up as much as I can about the, the subject. And something I found was, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, there was so much as it relates to theology, so much as it relates to kind of the more academic world, um, but not a lot in practice. Uh, and, and that's where I, I just really felt like, Lord, who, who will share this good news? How, how can we do this in a way that doesn't start off by saying you're an abomination, <laughs> you know, but really starts off with the gospel itself? Um, so so that's, that's what my heart was. That's where the Lord was leading me. And then as I was doing it in the context of Jewish ministry, my ministry blew up, grew Extramentally, it was incredible how many people started coming to Bible studies, how many people wanted to engage with the gospel. Um, but unfortunately, my ministry at the time was not ready for it. They they were very hesitant about the work that I was doing, seemed very, um, they didn't really trust uh, that what I was doing was right or maybe even ethical even though I, I hadn't really changed any of my methodology. And in many, well, no, I did change my methodology. I would say I didn't change my theology. Nothing about my belief or my convictions or my ethics had changed, but it was the fact that I was engaging with this community that seemed problematic. Um, and an intern of mine who had come out and come to faith through this work, uh, wanted to come on staff with the ministry. And after eight months of being kind of back and forth and questioned and asked, and she was told that she, because she identified as gay and because this was a part of her story, that she was not eligible to work for the ministry. So I knew that I needed to do something else. I needed to go somewhere else. And simultaneously, my um, my ministry partner was also uh really feeling called to leave her ministry and start something new. So that's that's when we got together and, and started this thing called Kaleidoscope. What do you think are some things that would surprise most Christians about mm -hmm. reaching out to the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I think almost anything is surprising. I think because it is, and, and I describe it since the work that I'm doing is very missional, right? So right. I would say this is a people group. This is a, there's a culture surrounding this. So often when we think about those who identify as LGBTQ, we think about it just as the individual. 
And we also tend to just think about it as it relates to sex or sexual activity. What are they doing? Who are they having sex with? Who are they not having sex with? Um, but what is surprising for a lot of Christians is the reality is this is actually a culture. There's so much more to this community than just their sexual activity. There's language, there's clothing, there's music, there's expression, um, which is in many ways very rich. Uh, and I've, I've seen and encountered with many Christians who volunteered with us them coming to realize that like, wow, this is, I, I can have a conversation. I'm having a conversation with an LGBTQ person and not once have we talked about sex. You know, I'm having this conversation with this gender uh, minority person who's, you know, gender non-conforming or transgender, however, and not once have they tried to um, push some kind of agenda on me because those are, those are kind of the presuppositions that we have. So I think what I've seen, and even in my own life, just spending time with people, the beauty, uh, the beautiful thing that is birthed out of that is, is just seeing how much people are just people. And everyone, everyone is coming from a particular context, but everyone needs the truth of God and that, that the gospel as it is, um, is available. In, the, in those contexts. So uh, I think an example that, that was really profound for me and for our team is uh, we have what we call safe pastors training. So we have an online eight week training available for pastors who want to think more missionally about how to reach LGBTQ people outside of their church and, and maybe even inside. Um, and we had a group of pastors uh, join us at the end of each training on an outreach. We say, we don't want to just talk about it. We want to do it together. So they joined us on an outreach during Pride Month this year. We went to Hell's Kitchen and we had a big sign that said, we are pastors offering prayer. And it was so profound to see these pastors get to pray for all of these LGBTQ folks. And one pastor in particular at the end said, I was shocked at how many people were drawn to us, wanted, asked for prayer from us, allowed us to hug them, hold our arms on them and just pray and really showed us the utmost love and respect. I, and she said this, she said, I have been doing ministry in the city for so long and I have never met a people group that has been so open hmm. to receive prayer from me than these people. And it just blew her mind. Wow. So as I mentioned in the introduction, <clears throat> there's been a lot of theological debates mm -hmm. about this special community, LGBTQ community, but not much engagement. Yes. Can you give us uh, a brief overview of those theological ideas and tell us uh, what yours or your ministry's position is about gender and sexuality? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so, so as as it stands, there's about four more popular mainstream theological positions that one can take. Um, the two that we probably hear about the most are uh, affirming or unaffirming. Um, they're affirming is considered side A. So they a lot of people uh, describe it in these 
these terms of sides. So there's side A, side B, side Y, and side X. So side A is what we would understand as an affirming theology. So uh, someone who holds a side A theology would say that through prayer, reflection, conversations with others, and their interpretation of scripture, they have come to understand or believe that what God has intended for marriage is not exclusive to a man and a woman, but God has blessed and can bless and um, has given basically the okay for um, both same-sex relationships and for many people, any sort of untraditional relationship. Then there's those uh, who consider themselves side B, which I would say I hold as more side B theology, which is um, the understanding that through scripture and reflection, same, same process, that I've come to the conclusion that scripture seems very clear that marriage was in fact designed for a man and a woman. Um, and, and that hasn't really changed in the narrative of both the Old and New Testament. And uh, however, that being said, we still acknowledge that there are people who experience same-sex attraction or those who, who experience gender uh, dysphoria, meaning they um, identify, feel, and experience uh, a gender that is not the one that they were assigned at birth or the one that they were, some would say, like born into. Um, so we, we want to acknowledge that reality. We don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And uh, those who hold a side B theology would also say that it is not God's goal to make one uh, heterosexual. It's not the ultimate goal. Um, heterosexuality in and of itself is not, it doesn't give you a pass. It doesn't make you good. It, you know, um, many, and we know that we see that unfortunately in the church, a lot of sexual promiscuity or infidelity and sexual sin is unfortunately at the hands of and experiences of heterosexual relationships. So we can't just assume that making one heterosexual is, is what God wants. No, but that God uses all orientations for his glory. God uses all of these realities to show himself uh, as we submit them to him, as, as we look to him for fulfillment. So that's side B. Um, side Y are those who would say, though we, ex we understand that there is the reality of same-sex attraction, we would not uh, suggest that anyone would identify within their, sex their experience of same-sex attraction. So these are folks that don't use terminology that's more typical. In the LGBTQ community, they would say you're not gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, whatever because uh, in their opinion, it is identifying with one's sin. Um, and kind of one of the primary arguments is our identity is solely or exclusively in Christ. Therefore, we should not use any labels that are outside of that. And then finally, side X, which uh, side X, which sadly has been more traditionally used and practiced in church history, 
um, is one that we would associate with uh, conversion therapy. The idea that, in fact, what, what God wants, uh, someone who's side X would say, is that God wants us all to be heterosexual. So the goal in one's spiritual growth and development as an LGBTQ person is to rid themselves of any same-sex attraction, and not just that, but to encourage or push them towards heterosexuality, hopefully to the end that they would marry somebody of the opposite sex and, and live a more seemingly heterosexual life. So, so those are, those are the, <laughs> the kind of camps uh, that there are out there. And, and for us as a ministry, though all of our leadership holds a particular theology. And as, as we are now, all of our leadership holds the same theology as I do, We're, um, all side B. We do not want our theological position to stop people from encountering the good news of the gospel. So in our communities, in, uh, in our outreaches, in our posture towards our LGBTQ siblings, we are not centering this idea of theology, but we want to say, how can we um, honor theology yet engage and not use it as an excuse to disengage or distance ourselves from a people who are desperately in need, like anyone else, of the transforming and, and joyful power of the Lord? Hmm. So your ministry is not a church, it's a missional organization, right? Correct, so yes. How do you think that distinction impacts the way you are able to minister in the, in the LGBTQ community? I am, I'm actually so grateful that we're not a church. Um, I value our church partnerships so much because they're essential. You know, our, our hope is that we see, you know, a revival in the LGBTQ community, right? And we wanna see people come to faith and grow in faith, but we're nothing without the church. So there has to be places for our folks to be able to land, uh, to grow and to live in community and worship God together. So we're very grateful for our church partnerships, but at the same time, we really want to continue to be and see ourselves as, missional as a missional organization. Um, and because of that, it really allows us, again, to focus on contextual missions. We, we are not, you know, bound to a particular denominational practice or, you know, we, we don't have to make sure that if we say something or do something that might seem a little too much for some people that we'll get kicked out of our denomination or there might be um, those in our church that feel uncomfortable with the amount of engagement that we have. So we have to, you know, understandably, a church has to balance their whole congregation, you know, people who are ready to engage in this topic and then those who aren't. Um, and, and that's a full-time job. <laughs> so for us, it, we're, we're thankful for churches who are partnering with us and who are ready to take first and second steps but we're in a position where we can really engage in a way that maybe a lot of churches can't. And, and I understand that. And we feel really grateful that we can do that. As Elizabeth, what are some challenges that LGBTQ community or individuals face in particular? Yeah. Um, I think that this, this question really brings up 
the the idea of what an urban setting also mm-hmm. offers and looks like when we talk about this community. So LGBTQ folks um, are more likely to live in cities um, because cities tend to be a more culturally diverse and open um, setting. So a lot of folks who grew up in the Midwest or in in areas of of suburbs or rural areas tend to come to the city. So we see high populations of LGBTQ folks in New York, for example, San Francisco, Miami, and LA. Um, And New York has the most LGBTQ people um, in all of those cities. Um, so some of the new unique challenges that go along with that is there we're working from a deficit, you know, like there has been unfortunately a lot of terrible things that have happened to this community, either in the name of Christianity or um, terrible things that have happened where Christians weren't present to show the love of Christ. So I think the most obvious example of that is in the 80s and 90s during the AIDS epidemic, particularly here in New York, where we saw thousands of LGBTQ people dying. Um, And at the same time, we had Christian ministers and leaders making national statements that this was a act of God against the LGBTQ community, essentially saying that this is what they deserved. Um, And then, you know, we just saw all these people dying alone. And I just think to myself, what an amazing opportunity it would have been to be alongside people who are dying. Um, When LGBTQ men, in particular gay men, were dying in hospitals and nurses would refuse to even bring them a tray of food. Um, they would just leave the tray outside of their hospital door because they were so afraid and everybody was afraid. How do you get, they didn't know how you caught this disease. So these men were dying and starving alone. And what an opportunity to be like Christ that we had. And unfortunately we weren't there. Um, But the prominent prominent message was that this was what they deserved. Um, So that is what LGBTQ people expect from the church. Uh, for the most part, is that we are not here to help them. We have nothing but hate and condemnation for them. Um, And a lot of folks experience that in their own homes. So many LGBTQ folks, even today, experience violence uh, at home, are kicked out of their house. Um, They are more likely to experience homelessness. So 50% of our homeless youth here in New York City are LGBTQ. Um, They are way more likely to experience mental health issues, which also go along with drug abuse, suicidality, particularly among transgender women of color. Um, So so there's a lot. There's a lot of things to, you know, consider and and to, yeah, to, to really consider and work with when you're thinking about this community. So in your experience, how do people in the LGBTQ community view Jesus, Christians, or the church? What are some of the responses mm. or comments that you get when you uh, talk to them about faith and religion? Mm. So, so since we are working from a place of deficit, that is, that's just, we know that. 
Um, so there's always some sense of trepidation, but I must say that I have experienced more positive responses from LGBTQ people around the conversation of faith than I have even when I'm engaging the church and Christians around this topic. Um, they are actually very open to have conversations. They're, they're very excited that someone would be willing to see them as they are and then engage with them with a, a sense of respect you know, around spirituality and faith, that they could even have anything to share or to learn. Um, so, and I think because it's such a, a rarity, they're excited uh, for folks to be able to do that. Um, we, again, we were at Pride multiple times this month doing outreaches. We had tables at different Pride events, um, just sharing the good news of Jesus. And uh, we had a group of volunteers who uh, came to join us and they were holding signs across the street from our booth that said, one said, Jesus loved you, loves you. Another said, um, we're sorry for the hurt that the church has caused. And just different, um, different messages along, along with that. We're sorry that we've kept you in the closet. We're sorry we haven't allowed you to, to share your story. We're sorry for the harm that we've caused. So they're holding these signs. And there was one girl who saw them holding the signs, I guess, from afar. And she was so angry. And she came up and was ready literally to like throw punches. And then she stopped and she looked at the sign again. And she said, I'm so sorry. I thought your sign said Jesus hates me because those are the signs that we've seen all around other parts of the city from churches. Signs that say, repent and say, you know, Jesus hates, doesn't, Jesus hates, um, uh, homosexuality and things like that. And she's like, I, I didn't expect to see a sign that said Jesus loves me. And she stayed with this group of, of uh, volunteers for probably 25 minutes and just shared her story um, and got to, to hear from them about their life story and, and just built that relationship. So it, it's just so beautiful to see that really the harvest is plenty. I would say that if I had to think of any passage of scripture, the harvest is plenty, uh, but the workers are few. So one of the goals, main goal of uh, Kaleidoscope's Bible study is to get a person to the point where they can read and interpret mm. the Bible for him or herself. Why is that? What's important about that milestone? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so because again, and I keep coming back to this, but because of such strong messaging and divisive messaging that has historically been kind of uh, communicated from the top down to LGBTQ people, meaning most of um, those who are interpreting scripture and writing books around the topic of sexuality and sexual ethic, they're all typically heterosexual white men. Like, let's be honest, those are, the, those are the folks that are producing this kind of material. So because of that, a lot of LGBTQ folks feel like they don't have any sort of autonomy um, to read the Bible for themselves, that they are just told, this is how you need to be, this is how you're supposed to live your life, 
and they don't really have any opportunity to see for themselves what scripture says. Um, so it's really important for us to uplift, to raise the heads of LGBTQ people who felt like they've been silenced or, or feel that they don't uh, have the ability or the capacity to read scripture for themselves. They, they don't feel like they can pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want from me? How is it that you want to move and work in my life? Um, they're just told, no, this is how, you know, here's a tray of what your life should look like. And if it doesn't, then you're disobedient. Um, so, so we really do want to invest in allowing LGBTQ folks to, to read scripture, um, to feel like they have a voice in, in the process of reading and interpreting and, and taking in the word of God. And, and we really invite the Holy Spirit to do the hard work of convicting, of challenging, of, of moving us both as individuals and as a community uh, towards love and faithfulness to God. So uh, another question is um, about your ministry. Kaleidoscope uses a, an individual's preferred pronoun, right? Yes. So please tell us why is that and what is it means from a missional perspective? Mm-mm-mm. Such a great question, because that tends to be one that comes up often um, when people visit our website. They're like, oh, I see that you have your pronouns there. Or if I speak at a church or at a conference, people are always surprised, like, why does she give her pronouns? Um, but it's a practice that we do because, again, we are missionaries. Um, and like any missionary, a good missionary um, who hopefully is indigenous to the community, that those are always the best missionaries. But any missionary, whether they're indigenous or not, coming into the community, they have to speak the language. They have to honor the language, speak it, understand what it means, and and engage with people at that level. So if I held some kind of very hard-nosed posture or stance that I'm not using somebody's pronouns or preferred pronouns because, you know, that's not how God made them or because it goes against everything I believe in. That might be true. However, you're not going to have a conversation with somebody. I mean, I don't think that that's true, but even so, you're not going to have a conversation with someone. If you're not speaking their language, if you're not honoring their personhood, even if you think it's, it isn't congruent with your interpretation of scripture, um, that's the end of the conversation. No one's going to keep talking to you. No one wants to develop a relationship with you. They feel as though you're not honoring them. So why would they continue? So for us, not only do we see it as a valuable practice personally, but we also see it as a very essential missional practice because it's the first step of coming to people where they're at and, and really meeting them as Jesus did to the, the woman at the well, you know, where they're at, what they're doing, what they value. So that's, that's why we use pronouns. So Kaleidoscope has attended pride events in New York city before. Can you tell us more about that? Why did you go? How did it go? And what was the response? Um, so we have gone to pride events in New York two years, the past two years, 
And the way that we talk about it is it's it's LGBTQ Christmas. Like it is a time where LGBTQ people come out and feel like they, they have a chance to be seen and, and to express themselves. So again, like any good missionary, it wouldn't make any sense if we were like, well, this is, this is a month we're gonna avoid. Like why? The, this is the month where people are out here talking about their realities. Um, they're, they're out here you know, in the streets. That's the first place we should be. Um, so that was really our, our biggest motivation is yeah, we want to meet people where they're at. And if people are at pride, then we're at pride. And I can't tell you, uh, Dr. Javed, how just amazing it has been to see God show up at pride. And, and actually one of the things that uh, had happened with those pastors that I mentioned this year is someone uh, walked by us. They didn't even stop. They just walked by us and they're like, I never thought I'd hear a pastor say the word pride and Jesus in the same sentence. It's just this like cognitive dissonance of, wait a minute, you're, you're actually here? Like you shouldn't be here. I thought everything in you tells you that this isn't a, a thing that you would want to engage with. Yet like Jesus, we are coming, um, we, are, we want to be incarnate. We are coming to the people. We are sitting and eating and uh, fellowshipping and preaching and sharing and healing people uh, where they're at. So, and you know, getting to pray for people, it's just so remarkable. So uh, one great thing that happened this year is we were at a pride event in Harlem and uh, there is uh, two girls that came up to us and they were like, we want to come to your Bible study. We, we want to be a part of this community. How can we sign up? And we shared with them. We became friends with them. And just two weeks ago, I believe, um, one of the girls came to faith in Jesus, accepted the Lord as her savior, and is now wanting to be baptized. So we're helping to work out getting her baptized. And she said, if you guys weren't there, this I don't know if this would happen because me and the and and the other girl my partner we were we were talking about how we should think about Jesus maybe a little bit more and that this was something that was important for my partner but i always felt hurt by the church so i didn't want to engage but something about it just really felt like maybe god wants us to know him maybe god want, does want us to know him and she said literally it was after that conversation we walked right up and saw your booth the only Christian booth at Harlem Pride. We saw your booth there and said, okay, God, we're listening. What is it that you want to do? So, you know, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything but be present. And now we get to celebrate the salvation of a new sister in Christ, you know, in our community and in the kingdom. So yes, being at Pride is, is very controversial. <laughs> it, um, it's, it can be very difficult at times, but I, I count it joy. I really do. Yeah. As your ministry works to build bridges between churches and the LGBTQ community, can you tell us more about why that is important and how you do that? Yes, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it's the, the real big reason why it's important is people need to have a place where they can come and find God in community. So there, we, we almost hope that we work ourselves out of a job at Kaleidoscope, that 
churches can be equipped and um, and inviting enough that we they don't need an LGBTQ missionary. <laughs> um, so so that's why it's really important. Is the church is supposed to be the the light on the hill. You know, the church is supposed to be the missionaries. It, it's not really up to individuals, though there are some of us who have the gift of evangelism. Ultimately, it is the church that does the work of spreading the gospel. So it, it's very important for us to build those bridges, uh, mainly so that the church can kind of come on the other side and, and see themselves as a tool of God and what he's doing and building in the LGBTQ community. So um, not only do we have strategic partnerships, but as I mentioned, we have churches that we work with um, who, who say, yes, this is a priority and we want, to, we want to figure out how to do this and do it well and learn from people who have been doing this for a while and do identify in the community. And we work from, with churches from every different theological perspective. Um, and that's very unique. There are other organizations that are doing what we would call church training in LGBTQ work. But for us, we, we decided that we wanted to work with churches from all theological backgrounds because their church is going to exist whether we agree with them or not, right? Like, no matter how, where the church stands theologically, they're, they're still going to be there. They're still going to be a light. Um, and are they going to be a good light? Um, I, I don't believe that affirming churches get a pass because they can call themselves affirming or because they officiate same-sex weddings. That is not a, those are not pillars of, of spiritual growth. Those do not ensure safety for folks who are coming in. Um, so we, wanna, we want to see all churches, uh, again, have the opportunity to know how, and, and uh, just to go back to that also, it doesn't ensure that you're gonna be missional. And so all churches need to be missional and, and being missional is not just saying you're welcome here, but it's saying, how do we welcome you? And also how are we coming out to you? How are we going out to you where you are um, humbly uh, just to see what the Lord is doing? Uh, so that's why church partnership is really essential. It's an essential piece to the puzzle. For someone listening to this podcast who feels called to reach out to the, the LGBTQ community, what advice or suggestion can you offer? Mm. I mean, I think first and foremost, go to the Lord in prayer. Really, you know, go to the Lord and pray fervently for this community and ask him to bring people in your life uh, who identify, and, and as you said earlier, Dr. Javed, they, they probably already have somebody in their lives. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and guidance um, in doing that well. Um, I would also say, really ask questions. Um, and as somebody who's been doing missions and evangelism for you know, most of my adulthood, I've noticed that it doesn't matter, again, what cultural context, ask questions, learn from someone else, and not just questions of you know, uh, theology or questions of experience, but yeah. tell me your story. 
you know, and, and listen and, and listen with honor and respect. And then find those inroads as that relationship develops to both show and proclaim who God is in your own life. And, and that will inspire them to see, oh, well, maybe this could be my God too. You know, maybe, maybe this Jesus is, is actually for me as well um, and invite them into that relationship. So before we close our episode today, is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation? Um, I, I just, I'm really grateful for this conversation, doctor. And, and just, I, I think what I would add, which we've probably already shared is just this. I, I truly believe that this is a moment that the Lord is calling us into that we can choose to see the increase of the LGBTQ community and kind of its prominence, both in culture and in our own families. We could see it as something that we need to war against. Mm -hmm. We could see it as something that we need to guard ourselves against. We could see it as something that we can just ignore and kind of live our lives separately from, or we can choose to explore and say, what is God doing? How is the spirit working? If I truly believe that Jesus came to save all people, then what is God doing in bringing this community into such prominence? So I just encourage all of the listeners here and, and just the church at large to really ask of the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And to trust that this is actually a moment of harvest if we choose to see it in that way. Elizabeth, if listener wants to get in touch with you, what are the easiest ways? Um, I think the easiest way, probably like most people, is social media. So feel free to find me uh, on Instagram. You can look up Elizabeth Black or Liz L. Black, and I'll come up. Um, and then also feel free to email me or to go to our website. Our website is uh, www.kaleidoscopeusa.com. Org, um, and there are opportunities to email me and our team there. So would love to have anyone reach out and connect. That will also be included in the episode description. Awesome. And for the last thing, because we talk about heavy topics, and this was one of the very heavy topic, uh, I think, uh, I'd like to ask you to tell a joke to lighten the mood. Lighten the mood. Oh, boy. <laughs> a joke. <laughs> if my husband was here, it would be great because he's the jokester in the family. I, I, I don't, I'm not one for jokes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you really any, put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, any, any joke, joke from uh, your children. I, I'm sure children tell okay, you. Let jokes. me think. Let me think from my kids. Oh my goodness. Okay, I honestly, I'm so bad. I really gotta think about it. <laughs> it's all right. Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was Elizabeth Black from uh, Kaleidoscope Ministries. If you learn something new, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us feedback, please reach out at OurUrbanVoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices.
You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.